0: Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences. Always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate related issues. In recent episodes, we've discussed the potential ripple effects associated with acts of civil disobedience, of political speeches or events and even from conversations with family and friends. This time, though, we'll be zooming out and looking at things from a systems perspective. This episode features a conversation with Solvay Safoniusdottir, head of learning at the EU's main climate innovation initiative, Climate Kick. It was recorded in March 2023. Solvay, who's worked to expand and facilitate the learning processes of organisations for over 15 years, focuses on skill building and shifting mindsets to catalyze transformation in the climate space. She's an expert practitioner, working to create change both within and across cultures, and is passionate about systems change and systems innovation. Amongst other things, Solvay and I discussed the need for systems perspectives in efforts to address the climate crisis, what communicators can learn from this kind of thinking, and the value of embracing uncertainty, complexity, and experimentation. So, let's get on with it. This is Communicating Climate Change with Solvay Sifonius.it. Hey, um, how are you doing, Sola? Nice to meet you.
1: Very good. Uh, Yeah, nice to meet you as well. I'm excited.
0: I will jump in with the first question. And that is, could you please tell me a bit about Climate Kick and also about your role there?
1: Yeah, I can certainly do that. So the KIC originally stands for knowledge and innovation community and we are a climate innovation agency and a community of actors working to catalyze uh, systems transformation and really using systems innovation as a key tool for that and we believe that the climate crisis and the climate challenges that we have are only to be tackled in a systemic way so what we do is that we fund we support we learn and experiment with our partners and our community to understand the best approaches in systems innovation. And for me, my role uh, at Climate Kick, um, so I work as our learning orchestrator, which is essentially a head of learning. So I'm responsible for the development of learning and capability activities, um, the ones that we do as an organization uh, externally with our partners um, or as services, but also our internal uh, capability building of growing our own abilities to work in systemic ways to support uh, solutions and experiments to mitigate the climate crisis.
0: Something that I've become more and more sensitive to is the volume of calls for action now, systems change now. I mean, especially after the IPCC report just came out, there's been headlines galore saying just that. What does that mean for most people?
1: When we say systems change now in our organizational context uh, or in my organizational context, and I think across many, many contexts, I think what we are saying is the status quo, business as usual, this isn't acceptable anymore. We need to find or accelerate our courage um, to try to to experiment with radical changes. Something needs to happen. We need to reimagine uh, how we live, uh, try to think outside some of those self-created boxes, and at the same time also in our daily lives realizing how things are uh, interconnected and uh, that that... With the climate movement, especially that we can't silo ourselves off, we need to realize that there can be no climate justice as such without equality, without biodiversity, without uh, a lot of other uh, interventions and transformation elements. What is important here again is that we don't get too stuck in one level. The political system needs to change, or it's the responsibility of the individual to change. But we have to work on multiple different levels, and that is where it gets messy. And embrace the mess is an incredibly important part of uh, of us understanding how we start taking action now.
0: From your perspective, as head of learning at Climate Kick, how Can communication contribute to mitigating the worst effects of climate change in the first place?
1: From my perspective, the first thing that comes into my mind is um, that tackling the climate crisis is about gaining momentum. It is about changing our mindset. It's about changing our hearts. It's about uh, moving us. And for me, the storytelling aspect of communication has the power to both showcase people's experiences and bring to life the effects of the climate emergency beyond kind of the doom headlines uh, and giving a picture of what, what kind of world, what kind of just climate resilient future could look like and what it is that we need to uh, be doing to create something like that. And I think that there is something here around uh, nuancing the, the presentation of the climate crisis and challenges as well to prevent paralysis and desperation. For me here as well, thinking broader around the communications is uh, an incredibly important aspect of uh, looking at climate crisis and, and mitigation efforts. So that is something that, that I would maybe put at the forefront. There is a kind of a difference sometimes made between the communication in terms of a communication as a profession so so the way that we are uh, producing reports or communication materials around the climate challenges and then communication in terms of arts and culture communication all of those different mediums that actually also have a very relevant role and so I think what it is that I would want to be pointing at is that I think it's beneficial to think about communications in its widest form when we are looking at something as large as the climate issues at hand.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the intention of this series to look at it from the art perspective, from a communications between families perspective, a corporate communications perspective, everything. And in this case, I'm very interested to, as you said, take an even broader view and look at a systems perspective. Uh, perspective. So maybe that's a good place for us to jump into. What does that mean? What do we mean when we talk about uh, systems perspectives?
1: I think maybe here to start, the definition of a of a system as such is is a, is a set of parts that are uh, interconnected and coherently organized um, in a structure that has a characteristic set of behaviors. This means that there is a a way for systems uh, to operate that really make it impossible for us to impose our will on a system, so there are decisions and actions that each and one of us can take as individuals um, and members of civil society corporations but there is uh, all of these different interactions ongoing to create um, the larger system and when we are talking about systems change or systems innovation in in sort of the in in the area for that climate Kick operates in we're really talking about uh shifting uh, large systems political systems, healthcare systems um city and and regional infrastructure
0: right so kind of facing up to the limitations of no matter how hard you push in one direction, the greater system just tends to absorb that and (laughs) bounce you right back.
1: Yes. To some extent, because the system will produce the results that it's set up to produce. Um, I think that one of the things here as well as for us to be really cognizant of is that these challenges that are coming at us and the challenges that have also existed uh, possibly through all time, climate crises, food insecurities, um inequalities and the growing inequalities that we're also seeing now, these are really difficult to uh, overcome because they are results of different complex systems that are interacting. And in terms of creating change or ripples or shifts or sort of trying to nudge systems here, we need to take a holistic view of issues and we need to understand how different parts relate, but also how we can create ripples but in some way we actually have to really be listening in trying to understand and discover and and not an experiment working with trying to transform systems is um it's really important to be uncomfortable with the unknown and being able to uh live with the fact of that uh, the results of the interventions are not easy to predict or impossible to predict, there are unexpected consequences. And this is something that, that we need to really be both thinking about, but also communicating out about as well, because I think that there's a tendency, I mean, we as human beings have a tendency of wanting things to become easier. And here we are taking a different position where things are probably going to stay in the domain of being uncomfortable. And we need to get better at, um, at diving into that.
0: You mentioned some interventions, and I guess it goes without saying that listeners will be interested to know what that might mean.
1: Yeah, I think intervention in systems is one of the most fascinating and and uh, difficult uh, parts in terms of uh, what what we are essentially looking for. And I think that there are some good terminologies to lean against in terms of, in in sort of system thinking or approaches, there's a lot of talk around the concept of leverage points, which is uh, intervention points, or points in the system where you can Push to try to nudge and experiment with, and seeing what what effects does it have, uh, what 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 actually happens if you um, shift uh, certain elements of the system um, in in terms of um, energy systems, in terms of new solutions, or uh, a nudge towards different behaviors, um, and then. If there is a shift in terms of that, that enough people or elements in the system essentially um, sort of subscribe to this new behavior, you might have a, a shift or a move. But you cannot predict. And this is where the, the sort of notion of us becoming more experimental and allowing for that, that we are actually really working to try to leverage uh, and see what works And the replication part here, I think, is something that really gets in the way a lot of time because we are really wanting and attracted to sort of best practices and transferable best cases. And this is something that we also need to be aware of.
0: You mean being able to step past best practices and try something else?
1: I think that... Uh, being aware of that—that that everything is unique at this point. So even though you have a best practice uh, in current state, current system current reality a best practice for something different in two years time or even in five minutes time not might not necessarily be so you, so we have to start becoming a little bit more uh, nuanced in what it is that we are and 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 have an understanding of that we cannot um, assume that something that worked before is going to work now
0: A role that is dedicated, as I understand yours, is to sort of shifting mindsets. That sounds amazing. What advice would you give to others, in this case, communicators, and that may be marketers, that may be academics, that may be journalists. What advice would you share on how to go about achieving that goal?
1: Working on shifting mindsets is... uh... Uh, like you said, I think it is amazing. I think it is also incredibly um, messy and complex. And and I think that it is also messy and complex for re- For one of the reasons is that you are constantly needing to work on your own mindset and your own uh, assumptions. Maybe my first advice uh, would be to really think in and, and sort of adapt that practitioner's mindset that you are never going to be finished in terms of being fully fledged, someone that can work on shifting mindsets. You're constantly needing to shift your own to be able to stay in it. I think that there is uh, an important part here around sharpening listening, listening to learn, listening through context. We work quite a lot with um, now sort of bringing different organizations together to uh, kind of cross, do peer learning, learn from one another, learn from unexpected uh, perspectives. I think what I would suggest as well here is that tools and methods and like I said before, sort of best practices are incredibly good but we have to be also on un- understanding that that we need to go beyond that um and uh and the ability to use tools and approaches and methods in a transformative way is really dependent on our own mindset and our own um willingness to 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 be unfinished business, i guess. And I don't think that that is a call for us not utilizing the practice and the talent and the, uh, and the expertise that people have. But being able to not stick to simple stories and understand that there are multiple different sides. Um, I think that that is something that we will constantly need to be practicing.
0: I know that you have... Some thoughts from a systems change perspective on what we can do about making the language um, more accessible. So, I wonder if you could share your thoughts on that.
1: I think for me and, and many of my colleagues, this is a this is a constant, very uh, live discussion, and it comes in terms of that. There is there's many many perspectives around that the language of systems change, system transformation, um, kind of the call for transformative action right now is riddled with jargon that it is not accessible. It's difficult to use. Um, and I would say, yes, I think that, that is, there's a grain of truth in this. You can see where I'm heading here with the multiple perspectives. Um, but at the same time, I think that there is um, an element of us needing to be really conscious of, especially from kind of the lens of a communicator, that words have power and meaning. And sometimes when we are trying to create or 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 experiment and try something new. It's actually important that we don't stick to old, tried, tested language, but that we allow for an openness of, of, uh, of uh, uh, or experimentation also around language and, and new meanings. Um, and I think that that is actually a, a big calls out for the communicators to take their job as translators very seriously. Finding language, uh, metaphors, uh, imagery that people can hold on to and understand, um, but at the same time being respectful for uh, the um, complexity of systems uh, thinking and systems p- perspective, and and not not favoring simplicity just because that is sort of the way that we see modern communication. I see so many good examples of how we can say things simply without losing uh, the kind of complexity, complex thinking. Maybe just to come with an example, um, something that comes to my mind is um, uh, Dave Snowden, who has um, worked on the Kinefin framework, uh, which is uh, something that I would encourage people also to have a look at. He has an incredibly interesting uh, small clip where he gives an example of a children's party to illustrate three types of systems. And so through a storytelling of this, he talks about the characteristics of three dif- different systems. And I think here's some of those basic shared experiences for in this case, probably parents or people that have uh, been uh, in these situations. It's easy to grasp the complexity here because this is something that it's, it's a basic story. But it has so much nuance. And this is where I would say, and it would be my challenge to communicators in general, to start looking for those examples that are where we are in complexity in every day, because there is plenty of those examples. Um, And then we need to just be a bit playful around this. And I think in that way, we also need to sometimes get out of our hero journey uh, stories that we tend to go for as well. The interwovenness of painting the picture around climate change, the climate crisis, and also our approaches to try to transform, they are going to be uh, having to dwell on the interwovenness and the interconnected.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the single most important aspect of communication that we should be paying attention to in our communication endeavors?
1: Storytelling, without a doubt, storytelling. I would also want to highlight the importance of cultivating own curiosity and listening quality towards what is unspoken but needs to be said.
0: And then the last one what's the biggest mistake you see communicators make when attempting to engage the public on climate change?
1: I would maybe outline three. Focusing on the problems and not the potentials and the possibilities, um, assuming that information will be enough and that we don't need to sense and feel as well, and then not translating the jargon into language that people can understand, and at the same time, assuming that people can't grasp complex information uh, when, uh, when sort of cooked up in, a, in the right way.
0: I'm hearing empathy through a lot of what you said, hearing the unspoken, listening to people, putting things in terms that they understand, like just taking ourselves out of us.
1: (laughs) Really interestingly, I think that, and this came up in, um, in, or has come up in a couple of times in conversations with uh, our uh, communication colleagues in, uh, in Climate Kick, where we are really focused in on so, how do we tell the stories about? Impact, How do we change the narratives around impact? Um, how do we convene around those um, those elements? Where is it that we could potentially convene um, more conversations around that? I think that there is this part around the simple simple stories being enough, and here I would point again, I think I, I, just to come back to that children's party. I think children's narr- sort of children's uh, narratives of climate uh, change and impact are also incredibly powerful, and sometimes have an incredibly uh, rich complexity in them. And so that is also something around learning from the unexpected or communicating um, on multiple different levels. So where are our blind spots when we have become professionals?
0: Yeah. That's nice. You know, I have uh, one interview coming up with an 11-year-old, a rich um, potential.
1: Absolutely. And I would actually say that some of the, the elders as well, um, because they have, uh, they have a more patient tone sometimes in their storytelling. And that can actually also be really interesting to see what, what happens when you are not as eager to have a point to make.
0: I found this discussion extremely thought-provoking, especially when considering it in relation to chats from previous episodes, for example, those with Ravi Srinath and Robin Webster. It was also a great confirmation that I'm on the right track with this podcast and its mission to offer true interdisciplinarity in climate communications knowledge. But what stuck with you from this conversation? What can you take from it and apply to your own work? From my side, I heard a few key messages. The first one is to stay curious. The second was to be confident in embracing experimentation, even in the face of established norms. So those are the things that I'll be keeping with me. But how about you? What did you hear? What will you be taking with you into your communications endeavours? Thanks to Solvi for sharing her time and knowledge with the show. It was Ace. You can find links to Climate Kick's website and some relevant resources in the show notes. Thanks also to you, for listening to Communicating Climate Change. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts, or by subscribing so you never miss out. You can find Communicating Climate Change on LinkedIn too, and if you think the series would be of interest to friends or colleagues, why not point them in the right direction? Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkits to help us develop the bravery and the abilities that we'll need for this complex task, so be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care.